Today's episode highlights include a deep dive into Weimar beyond Goethe, Schiller, and the Republic, a discussion about Germany's debate culture, advice on how to navigate German bureaucracy, why you should visit the Baltic Sea, and what surprising food beyond currywurst and döner you should eat in Berlin. My name is Hanni Geist. Welcome to my Coffee Connection. Today's Coffee Connection is Elizabeth Harrington Lambert, Director of Fellowships at the Meyer Office of Fellowships at Grand Valley State University and DAD Research Ambassador since 2012. She's a true coffee connection for me as we connected for the first time in a coffee shop in Oakland 2015. So it's only fitting to share our conversation as the first Coffee Connection episode. Have a listen. If you were at a German coffee house, I know you're in Germany frequently. Do you have something you always like to order uh, drink-wise, but also maybe cake or other sweets? Oh, this is a good question. Um, I'm actually also drinking tea. I am less of a coffee drinker, and I blame Germany in part for that. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Tagesvender. So my favorite thing is anything with Sondorn. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, having spent a little too much time in the East and on the Baltic coast, that's my favorite. And I always bring Sandorn pulver and berries back with us. Oh, interesting. So do you actually have that as a tea or as a cake? Both. Ryan likes to put the berries in a really dark, like an Assam tea. And mm -hmm. I drink them with a green. My favorite is from a little tea place in Potsdam. Interesting. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself, what you do at the moment, and specifically what your Germany connection is? Sure. So I am the director of the Frederick Meyer Office of Fellowships at Grand Valley State University, which is a 25,000-student public liberal arts university in West Michigan. And my Germany connection, um, my grandmother is German. So there was always a cultural and a linguistic link. I had the opportunity to spend my last year of high school in Südtirol. And so I added Italian to the German. And mm. in college, I studied art and history and ended up doing graduate school uh, with a focus on the GDR and post-Venda. I wrote my dissertation on the city of Weimar. And I was a Fulbrighter in Weimar, and then I had a DAD scholarship to finish that research, and I was in Berlin at the FU. Then I came back to finish my dissertation in 2012. I became a research ambassador that summer. I defended a year and a half later, and... After a postdoc, I ended up in Michigan. The places you studied and, and did your research, how did, it, how did you find out about these opportunities? During my third year of college, so at the end of my junior year, the Halle Foundation, which is a German foundation that has a pretty strong presence in Georgia, sponsored a program to send college students on a short-term summer exchange in the uh, Neue Bundesländer. And so... We traveled around for the first two weeks, and then we had an internship placement. And so I got to spend time in Weimar, in Dresden, up on the Aussee, in Berlin. During that time, I first discovered Weimar as something mm -hmm. beyond Goethe and the Republic. And then 
in graduate school, I actually thought I was going to write my dissertation on Nuremberg and a book came out just as I was writing my proposal. And I happened to be at the Goethe Institute in Preen, um, in Bayern, which isn't which doesn't exist anymore. So I figured out I needed to find a new dissertation topic. <laughs> so I decided to take a long weekend. I jumped on the train. And at that point, the um, ICE still traveled through Weimar. Mm-hmm. And I ended up spending a couple of days there. And I realized there was a lot more to the story. And So for so, anyone who's not familiar with Weimar, um, or maybe who is familiar with Weimar, but not with the one that you discovered. Can you tell me a little bit more about the city? Weimar in 1999 became the first city behind the former Iron Curtain to be named uh, European City of Culture, which at that point was called Culture Capital. And until 2000, they only named one city a year. And so that program brought in what would be the equivalent of billions of euro today (laughs) to restore the city to its historical stature. So Weimar means a lot of things to different people. There are connections with Goethe and Schiller that are probably the strongest, but Nietzsche was there, Franz Liszt was there, Marlena Dietrich lived there. The Weimar Republic for political scientists and historians was established in the National Theater. The Bauhaus was born in Weimar also in 1919. So there's so many overlapping layers of history. And then you also have Buchenwald um, concentration camp, Mm -hmm. which then was liberated by the U.S. and then three months later became a gulag and stayed that way until 1951. Um, So you have these layerings of history and these specific sites of memory that have different meanings for different people and that change over time. And so what was really interesting to me about Weimar is given this layered past, how do people who live there relate to their hometown, to their community, you know, what impact does it have? And how do you tell the story of all of these different stories? Mm -hmm. And for such a tiny town, because Weimar is under 100,000 people and a third of that are students, you know, it has this outsized place in German history, but also in European history and in world history. It's a lovely little place and it now sponsors really active national cultural festival every summer. They have just dedicated and opened the Bauhaus Museum there. And there's constantly work going on. There's still restoration. And I think Weimar and Potsdam were the first two cities to experience population growth after 1990. And it's continuing to grow. I've, I've known you since 2015. And we're connected on Facebook. So I know that you've travel quite a bit back and forth between the U.S. and Germany, so you have still very strong ties. Like, in addition to your personal connection to Germany, how would you say um, did, like, your Germany experience, maybe the high school experience first and studying and then researching, how did that shape your career and also your personal kind of development? Um, Well, in terms of my personal development, thanks to studying German and studying German history, I met my partner. We met Mm. in a graduate class called Life After Death that was a history, a cultural history of post-war Germany. That's a very dramatic title and also to meet your future partner. (laughs) 
Yeah, the things you don't expect. Um, we spent <laughs> that semester fighting with each other because we were the only people who focused on East Germany in the classroom. I have been really fortunate to have the opportunity to spend time not just studying, but getting to know the people in my community. When I lived in Weimar, I lived in a student housing that was a 200-year-old former um, military barracks, and we were right next to an Altenheim, and we shared a park with the residents. Mm. And it was so fantastic for both my language development and also for me to get to know the landscape and the people and just to hear everyday stories about their lives. Perfect scenario for a historian, right? Learn the language and talk to someone who's lived through some of the periods you're studying. Well, and I tell my students all the time that the best thing that you can do is to go somewhere where your German will be better than the locals' English. Because that's the trick to getting people to speak with you and to practice the language. And it was my great fortune that most of the older people living in Turingen did not have particularly strong English if they had any, and so they were happy to put up with my not always grammatically mm. correct German. And, I mean, older people like to tell stories. They like to feel, you know, like they matter. Yeah. And I think as a society, we sometimes forget to remember that um, they have value. And, you know, just little things. Like, people were telling me about how, when they first found out about Chernobyl, mm -hmm. and that it had just you know, it was just after May Day and they had spent a whole day outside parading and the kids were all talking about carrying red balloons mm -hmm. and realizing that, you know, the fallout was over Germany at that point and what they might have been exposed to and that they didn't know. Or hearing about the history of certain sites in town or what used to stand in a particular place. Um, I really enjoyed that. That was a great experience. I was also one of, I think, six Americans registered in Weimar at that point. So being an American was sort of, was still a novelty. And that was only 11 years ago. But yeah. I'm sure there are more Americans now. How did your Germany experience actually shape your career? And do you actually use it on a, on a daily basis? A hundred percent, I do. So... I finished my degree in German history, and I fully intended to teach and do research for the rest of my life. And I got a teaching job, and it was great, and I loved teaching. And by complete accident, I ended up being appointed the Fulbright Program Advisor because the previous FPA was on medical leave. And I discovered that while I really love teaching... The main thing is I enjoy working with students, and I like helping students develop their interests, find their passion, and more than anything else, I try to encourage them to get out and to travel and to learn a language and to immerse themselves in another culture. And because of the tremendous amount of money that the German government and German foundations invest in international education, Germany offers really fantastic opportunities. And so... Rarely a day goes by, and these days, while I do still teach, 80 or 90 percent of what I do is fellowship advising, helping with grad school applications, study abroad applications, funding applications. And 
I routinely, am t I was talking to a student yesterday about applying for the RISE program. Um, I talk to students about summer language classes. We talk about the Goethe Institute. We talk about um, exchange and internships. I currently have students doing CBYX and I had students last summer on cultural vistas programs. Uh, we've had Humboldt fellows, we've had Fulbrighters. We currently have both a Fulbrighter and an USTA. Um, so I get to use the language almost every day and I get to share my experience, whether it's the photos that are in my office or the postcards and the things that students have brought back, or whether it's pulling off one of our students' blogs and showing it to someone who comes in to ask about study abroad. Since you have a very deep knowledge of Germany and very strong connection to Germany, what would you like Americans in general would, would know about Germany that you don't really hear in the news or that's not the regular discourse, anything that you find really important that you would like um, Americans to know? I think that I wish, one of the things that we always comment about when we go to Germany and when we come back is how incredibly informed the average German is, not only about what's going on in Germany or in Europe, but also about what's going on in the U.S., I mean, in the summer of 2015, so when the 2016 presidential election was really starting to heat up, I had a taxi driver from Tegel into the city in Berlin. And it turned out that the guy had been a driver for the U.S. military um, until 1994. He asked more probing questions <laughs> about presidential candidates than most of my friends in the U.S. do. I've been able to have this, these really deep conversations on all sorts of topics, whether we're talking about green energy, whether we're talking about um, you know, the controversy over the Nobel Prize for Literature winner, whether we're talking about some other current event. And people are well-informed and are articulate about their ideas. But the thing that I love about having a, you know, a lively discussion in Germany is at the end of it, you can still shake hands and have a beer and stay friends, even if you disagree. And I think right now, unfortunately, that's really not possible for most people in the U.S. Yeah, um, yeah I remember um, at some point uh, when I worked for the FUBES program in Berlin, um, we, I mean, Germans always have really heated discussions. And um, really, even if you don't know anyone very well or at all, um, you um, easily get into heated arguments and discussions. And yeah, as you said, afterwards you share a drink and you shake hands and it's fine. And I think for some Americans that was a little um, intense at first. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that you also uh, find that today. You already talked about Weimar, um, but like what lesser known place would you recommend um, your students or other researchers visit while they're in Germany? Of course, we've got the big cities, um, but any place besides Weimar that you um, love to visit and that you could recommend? I think that especially for Americans, the Ostsee is just unknown. I mean, whether you're talking about going to the Kaiserbader, so the the villages on um, Usedom with these beautiful, historic, um, late uh, 
19th century houses that are largely intact and the sea promenades and, um, you know, great seafood, beautiful beaches, um, really welcoming people and just beautiful landscape. The chalk cliffs in Rügen are amazing. I think that would be one place. I also would say that the Sächsische Schweiz or the Saxon Switzerland, as they call it in English, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a really easy trip from Dresden. Um, if you're not into hiking, you can take the boat down the river and enjoy all of um, the beauty of Königstein and the Bastei without having a multi-hour hike up. I mean, I think there are so many unknown spots that it's definitely worth getting off of the beaten track. And something that you would recommend Americans um, or uh, foreigners try? Because, I mean, I, for example, I don't eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. So whenever um, people talk about, like, the currywurst or the doner or the schnitzel, that's, for me, uh, it's just nothing that I really crave and that I don't eat. When I go to Germany, is there something that you found that is maybe particular to your region that you would recommend? I really, really love the variety of dumplings, like especially around Weimar, the Thuringer Klöße, which are the mm -hmm. potato dumplings, and the potatoes are sort of shaved, so the texture is different. And this is maybe mixing regional foods, but one of the best recipes I've ever had, and you could actually eat this, is with um, the Frankfurt Grüner Soße on the mm. Klöße. It was delicious. But I will also have to admit, the thing that we love to eat when we go to Germany now is Vietnamese food. <laughs> is that right? It is. I had lived a few places in the U.S. that had a pretty large Vietnamese population. And, you know, I liked pho, but I had never really gotten into things beyond that. And living in Germany through the heat wave of the summer of 2009 introduced me to the beautiful... Um, thing that is summer rolls and papaya salad. And especially if you're in Berlin, there are such great Vietnamese restaurants. Um, yeah, and maybe, maybe to explain why um, is because Vietnamese were in Germany, in, in particular in the former east of Germany, where they were hired as laborers and a lot of them stayed. And so there's a lot of Vietnamese culture in particular in, in East Berlin that you still see today. Yep. And absolutely also in Leipzig, in Dresden, um, mm -hmm. in the same way that people think of Döner, yeah. in my mind, I think of certain Vietnamese dishes. It, you know, it's very much like the cultural hybridity that that's a definite example. So when is, the, when is going to be the next time you'll go to Germany? Unless something changes, I am actually taking a group of 20 or 25 um, of my fellow fellowships advisors from NAFA on a Central European tour in May. We haven't finalized the schedule yet, but DAAD is usually a sponsor and Fulbright is also usually a sponsor mm -hmm. and are nice enough to arrange for us to visit usually a Fraunhofer Institute, a Max Planck Institute, some different types of universities and um, higher education, some research institutions. And it's always fun for me to have the opportunity to open the door to Germany to my colleagues. And to have the ones who haven't studied German or who haven't had the opportunity to spend time there to learn about the culture, to learn about the university system, to learn about exactly what it means to um, have free tuition if you're not in Baden-Württemberg and um, 
what opportunities might exist for their students. Is there something that, I mean, you, you have a strong connection with your family, so you knew a lot about Germany probably before you went there for the first time, but was there something that you wish you had known before going to Germany or something like to prepare you? Um, maybe something that you now pass on to your students before they go? One of the things, and I don't remember this as much as a kid because I'm sure my parents handled it, but I always tell my students to assume that when they're going to Germany, there's going to be one more form, one more stamp, <laughs> and one more level of bureaucracy than they expect. <laughs> I mean, I really, in general, have had re very good experiences, and I haven't had a lot of problems navigating bureaucracy, but it's different for American students where they have this sort of customer service mentality that they think you're just going to go in and take care of everything the first time with the first person that you talk to and that they are there to serve you. And the first time they try to enroll at a university in Germany, they will learn that that is not the case. And I also encourage them, especially if they're going to study or to do research or anything that has an academic component, reach out to the international office at the university or the Fakhochschule where they'll be and find a tandem partner. Find a local person that they can connect with who can help them to navigate that bureaucracy, but who can also answer questions that they might think are stupid and that they're afraid to ask, but that it will make their life so much easier if they do ask. And so for researchers, do you have some other advice that would be maybe specific to more advanced academic um, who's uh, going to Germany for research? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to plan ahead and to identify multiple points of contact because, I mean, this goes whether you're going to Germany or whether you're going anywhere else. Things happen. Life gets in the way. You may have planned to work with one person and then it turns out that that person has a medical emergency or is on vacation or who knows what else. And I also always tell both my students and my colleagues that there are different cultural norms about email and that mm, they probably yeah. shouldn't expect an immediate response. And that you also need to take into account the academic calendar and that when it's semester ferian, that often really means vacation and people may not be available unless you've planned ahead. Beyond that, I mean, I've really had good experiences. I know in part that was because I had the language skills. I definitely have helped some students and some friends who didn't speak German or who didn't speak very strong German to navigate uh, that process or to help them draft an introductory email to archives. I mean, I do think some of that is changing. So many more people are willing to use English. I'm, you and I both, I know, have seen in Berlin, there are restaurants mm -hmm. that you'll go into yeah. where they'll greet you in English first now. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think it goes a long way, even if it's learning a few crash phrases of survival German, to be polite and to be respectful. And it opens doors. Yeah, definitely. But um, as you said, there are some some cities, and Berlin is certainly one of them, where if you're really if you really want to learn German, maybe Berlin is not the first place to go to because, in fact, um, it may be difficult because so many restaurants and places in general just people speak English. So going to a smaller town uh, probably will help a little bit more to learn German.
if some listeners you're interested in studying in Germany or research in Germany have a question maybe for you and would like to get in touch with you, how could they reach you best? They are welcome to email me. And the email that is probably the best to not get caught in all of my work things is um, the E-L-A-M-B-E-R-T, so E-Lambert at D-A-A-D-alumni.de. You heard the first episode of Coffee Connections, today with Elizabeth Harrington-Lambert, one of DAD's dedicated research ambassadors in the United States. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break. <laughs>